0: So we're going to talk about heaven on earth. In, the, in Mark, in uh, in Mark chapter three, or Matthew chapter three, verses one to two, um, we have the sort of the, after we have go through the first chapters of Matthew, we have the introduction of the genealogy of Jesus, and we have um, the the birth of Jesus and all that stuff that comes in the first couple of chapters. And then when we get to chapter 3, we have the introdu- introduction of John the Baptist onto the scene. This is about the time when Jesus is entering into his ministry uh, in life. So um, we, we, John says, he says these words, he, he says, Repent ye, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what he was saying, he said, look, you've got to change because the word repent means to change. He says, you've got to change because God's kingdom is right near us. He's baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins, repentance and forgiveness of sins, and he baptizes them in the name of John. And through the crowd comes Jesus. Now, when John sees Jesus, he knows who he is because he can see the dove come down upon Jesus, and after he's baptized him, Jesus goes up and says to him, you know, you need to baptize me. And John says, I should be the one being baptized, not you. But Jesus says, no, this is the beginning of my ministry i'm starting my ministry now i'm 30 years old and that's it's time for me to set off on a job that I've, i've come to do so baptize me let's get this over and done with so he's baptized and the 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 what appears like a dove comes down and lights on him they hear a voice this is my beloved son and it's quite a moving moment because Jesus is set for his ministry and the very next chapter in Matthew chapter 4 we have the devil um, taking Jesus or, or the spirit of God moving Jesus out into the wilderness where he will fast for 40 days and 40 nights and as he's fasting, he's just seeking God and, um, and pursuing God for his life and work in God. And when he's finished his fast, the Bible says he's hungry and the devil comes to him, Satan comes to him and begins his temptations. Now we in Christendom have always thought that the temptation of Jesus at this particular point of time was to show us that Jesus was just like us, a human just like us and could fall or could be tempted on things that would would be tempting to us. However, I am not convinced theologically that that was the case. I do not think that Jesus was um, ignorant of who he was. I do not think that when he came to the temptations that he stood there and trembling saying, this is so hard, I'm feeling so tempted. I really do believe and I think scripture tells us that Jesus was in full control of every part of his faculty, every part of his mind and was not tempted by what the devil was saying to him. I think that he felt the pains and the rigors of the human body. I think he felt extremely hungry. But I don't think his spirit was at all moved by what the devil was actually saying to him. And I think the devil, the temptation was all about the devil trying to find out who this guy was rather than trying to tempt Jesus to stumble in his fall. And I want to I just uh, try and build that idea for you today so that you can understand that when we receive Jesus into our lives, we do not receive a human being who's just like us who's able to fall. We see, receive into our lives an unconquerable spirit of God who will never fall under any circumstances, that any temptation that comes near him will just prove the strength of his character, nothing more than that. When they built the Sydney Harbour Bridge to show that the, the people in Sydney that you could climb onto the Sydney Harbour Bridge and it wouldn't fall down, they travelled onto the bridge and, and took onto the bridge every semi-trailer loaded with heavy metal to prove to the people of Sydney that this bridge was good to withstand the load. The tempting or the testing was not to make the bridge fall down, but to show the people in Sydney that this bridge was good to stand the load. The tempting or the testing that Jesus took on at this point of time was not to trip him up as though he was going to or could possibly fall. He was God in the flesh. How can God fall? Can God do evil? It's impossible for God to do evil. So if it's God in the flesh, it's impossible for him to sin. I know that some people don't agree with me, but that's okay. I'm going to build this case for you today so that you can get to understand that the, incon- the unconquerable Jesus who lives within you will protect you and will keep you from sin. You don't have to be sitting there thinking, I'm too weak. You don't have to face this in your own strength. You have to face this in the authority and in the power of the one who never falls. And who would never fall. God cannot be tempted by evil and neither does he tempt anybody with evil, it says in James. So he can't be tempted, the Bible tells us. So when Jesus came to establish this kingdom on earth and when the devil came to him and started to tempt him, the devil was trying to figure out what was going on with this man. You know that Jesus actually prayed, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus came with a sole uh, purpose was to unite you and I back to the Father and to establish his kingdom back in this earth again his rule and his reign back in our lives. So here we have in Matthew chapter 4, the devil missing the point completely. I want you to get this in your mind. Here we have one of these. He's already told the Lord of the universe who, who uh, threw the universe into space, created all things to change stones into bread to appease his, his hunger. I mean, Jesus came with the exact purpose to serve, not to be served. So he just dismissed that one completely. He comes to this temptation and the devil says to him, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. So in an instant, he took him out and he says, look across there and he opened his mind to every kingdom that it was existing and the splendor of all those kingdoms that were in the world at that time. He showed him it. Bang, 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 bang. There it is. And he said to Jesus, I will give you all of this. All the fame and the fortune and the power and the authority that you want on earth. He says, I will give you all of this if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God, serve him only. And then the devil left him and his angels came and ministered to him. Now... Jesus knew what the devil did not know. The devil asked him, if you are the son of God. Jesus knew very well he was God incarnate. Get that. Jesus was not a human man, just a human man walking around with the gifts of the Holy Spirit on him. Jesus was God in the flesh. He was all divine, as in pure deity, and he was all human, as in human nature, he was human and in human body. So he was fully divine, fully God, and fully human. He was the only one like that, has only ever been one like that. He is the only begotten, full of grace and truth. He is different to your eye. He was God in the flesh, and when he stood before Satan, and when Satan uttered these things to him, he knew he was God in the flesh flesh the devil did it that he knew it he didn't come to it as he was going through his ministry it's like he was come surprised oh something happened maybe I'm God no he knew at 12 years old that he was God's son and that he should be in his father's house at the age of 12 he hung around the temple and his family went on home they had like an African family situation there it takes a village to raise a child you know and all of the others left and they thought that Jesus was with the cousins or the uncle or the aunt or something and then they got three days out of the city and they look around and said where's Jesus no Jesus and so they we better go back to where we come from to find out where this boy has gone they walk back three days to found him in the temple debating with the Pharisees and the scribes about the things of the law and the, and the scribes and the, the Pharisees and the scribes were absolutely astounded at his wisdom and then when they come to Jesus and say why have you done this to us Jesus says to them very clearly shouldn't I be in my father's house well he knew then that he was the son of God they didn't he did I mean even when he was on his mother's knee and he was he an was infant just getting weaned you know when he was eating curds and whey the first meal that you have after you've had the breast milk he's that much of an infant he knew the difference between right and wrong and to choose right and to 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 put wrong away he knew at that point right then when he was coming to moral awareness as a child as an infant on his mother's knee he knew to choose god because he was god he was never going to choose evil the only human in history that has ever done that he was god in the flesh He knew what the devil didn't know. If you are the son of God, why the devil didn't know he was, but he knew he was. What the devil didn't know is where he had come from, what he was going to do, and what he had seen. Everything that Jesus had seen beforehand everything his eyes had seen in the spirit world, everything his heart had grasped from the word of God, everything that God had revealed to him as he was growing up, everything that he had known from his uh, previous life in eternity past and the glory of God before, he had that, he knew that it was part of him. And so when the devil's coming to him, he doesn't know that and he's trying to tempt Jesus with regard to stuff that is in this world. This is what the picture is. Satan says to him, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And their splendor and their glory. And Jesus looks at them and says, You're not trying to tempt me with that, are you? You're trying to tempt me with fallen humanity, with every evil and despicable thing that is under the sun. I've come to redeem men from every kingdom of the world. I've come to bring the kingdom of God to earth. I've come to bring God's rule and reign. And Don't offer me the rotten fruit, the fallen fruit that's on the ground. You're not going to tempt me with that rubbish. I've come to bring God's glory here. Don't think that Jesus was sitting there and saying, Oh, that's a way to get fame and fortune. Like he was a pop star or something looking for a quick shoot to the top with the devil's assistance. He wasn't tempted by that. He had a different plan. John had already known what the plan was. The kingdom of heaven is near, he had preached. And Jesus come preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is here. Now change. Change from the kingdom of this world. Don't think that when the devil puts this plate of rotten fruit, maggot ridden meat in front of Jesus... Jesus was somehow going to look and say Oh gee I feel some sort of temptation there To do that you've got to minimize Jesus You've got to turn him into a, a flat headed just human being He wasn't, he was the son of God The unconquerable Christ That's who he was right then But the devil didn't know that Jesus knew that but the devil didn't know that Listen friends The kingdoms of the world were nothing to be looked at. He was bringing a new vine, a vine that was plump with fruit that was still attached, not fallen fruit withering from the vine, but a new vine where man would live in communion with God, where man would live in communion with heaven, where heaven would be on earth with man. That's what he was bringing. He wasn't bringing a fallen kingdom. He was bringing a risen kingdom. That's what he was bringing with him. And he was not going to give away that for rotten fruit. It's inconceivable to think that the creator of the universe and the creator of principalities and powers, when standing on the top of a tower, and the devil says to him, Throw yourself down because the word of God says that he will give his angels charge over you to pick you up, to protect you from hurting yourself. Jesus looks at him and said, You puny thing! Don't you know I'm the creator of every angel that there is? That angels come to me for protection. I'm the Lord of life. I don't know any system. Don't tempt the Lord your God. And we think, oh, he's talking about God. I think he's talking, don't tempt me. I'm God. But the devil didn't know that. The devil didn't know that. He knows it now but he can't do much about it. What did what did Jesus know? And Jesus knew he was Emmanuel, God with us. And Joseph was told by an angel, the angel Gabriel, when he had heard his wife, his, his virgin wife, was the betrothed wife was, was pregnant with child and he was going to put her away, uh, going to divorce her and put her aside. An angel come to him in the dream and says... Listen, don't do this, Joseph. And this is the words that he received from the angel. The virgin will bear a child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he quotes a passage of scripture from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, in the Old Testament. It's verse 9, 6, it says, for under us a child is born for us. For unto us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do you think Jesus had read those verses beforehand? Well, we're told in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 5, he says, you weren't happy with sacrifices and you have prepared a body for me, he says. And it is written in the scrolls about me. And he's read it. Jesus has read what's written about him. He sees himself in the word of God. He's read this and he understands that I am mighty God, the everlasting father. The father is in me. I am God. God is me. I'm here. Jesus knew that. But the devil didn't know that. If he had known that, he wouldn't even bother to try. He would have run away. Get away from this one This is dangerous We're told that John discovered who he was when he preached in, the, or he wrote in the, the verse, uh, verses of John, John chapters one, one to five. He says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." He's talking the Word, the Word of God, was the created force of the universe when God spoke, the universe into being. It's talking about Jesus. He's the active Word of God. He says, the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and life was the light of men. Now listen to it. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not understand it or the darkness does not comprehend it or the darkness cannot overpower it. Jesus knew who he was, but the devil did not. In Philippians, <clears throat> Paul tells us, in chapter 2, verses 5 to 7, he tells us how much Jesus knew about his state beforehand. He says, your attitude should be as, the, as same as the, that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. He says, but he made, himself, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made like human likeness. So this is talking about Jesus when he lived in heaven. When Jesus was living with God, when God the Son was living with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, remember they all lived together and they all spoke together when they were created. Let us make man in our image, they said in the book of Genesis. When he was living there, And he created it all. He was equal with God. He was God. There's the mystery of the triune father, the triune God right there, the Trinity. They're all there together. So he was there. He knew exactly who he was. But even though he was equal to God, he decided to come and to step down into life. Clothe himself with human flesh and submit himself to the will of the father. To achieve a purpose so he came and he came to serve he came to serve humanity which was lost he, he knew he was going to do this and the Bible tells us quite clearly that Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world it says that he was crucified in eternity past I mean Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do before he even came to do it he came and he started to do it he, he, he came onto earth so he knew exactly what he was there for he knew who he was the devil didn't know who he, know who he was but he knew who he was and he wasn't moved by Satan's attempt to do, deceive him and twist his mind that was an education for satan and we know it was an education for satan because the next chapter when when um jesus walks into the synagogue to a demonic person they start saying this is the holy one of god he starts to shout out of the top and jesus says Shut up, be quiet, and shuts him up. Why? Because the devil already knew now, this is the only man ever in human history that was able to withstand my temptations. This is the only man that was able to say no to sin. This is the only man who never sinned. There had never been a human being ever created that was able to do that. So they knew this man was different. He got that because he couldn't move Jesus, and he couldn't move Jesus because Jesus knew who he was knew what he was about and knew what what he was doing and that was enough to keep his mind completely straight through the whole thing. Which one of you, which one of you would be lured into a situation if you were Drawn into a situation And some guy came up to you And he brings a bowl of maggot-ridden Putrid-smelling, disgusting flesh And puts it in front of you and says You can have fasted for 40 days and 40 nights And he says, eat it And unless you've been watching Bill What's his name? What's that guy who? Hey? Bear Grills? You would say, not for me But if you knew that there was a feast at a table At a banquet that was waiting for you Just around the corner Would you say no I'm not having this rotten flesh I'm going to wait for the banquet that's coming Which one What would you do? Would you be slightly tempted? You'd have to be a clown You'd have to have half a brain Jesus didn't have half a brain He had a full brain With full capacity He knew exactly who he was And he wasn't tempted by that and the one who lives within you, this is the wonderful, wonderful news. The one who lives within you, the one who empowers you, is him, the very same God, living within you, giving you all that you need for life and godliness, so that you can withstand all that he throws at you in every situation. The devil didn't know about Jesus. And Apostle Paul tells us that very clearly. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 2, verses 7 to 10. No, we speak of a, a God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Listen to what he says. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Devil would not have crucified Jesus if he had known what Jesus was doing. That would have been foolishness. Don't kill him. Don't touch him. Because if you kill him, he makes a a remedy for sin. Don't touch him. Don't kill him. Don't do away with him. Because if you do away with him, he frees humanity from our hold. Don't touch him. Don't kill him. He would never have done it. The Bible says he would never have killed the Lord of glory if he had known. But this was God's secret. This was God's secret weapon. This was God coming down into the flesh. This was God bringing salvation. This was God bringing salvation. Something to us that the devil didn't know about. And so when the devil's trying to tempt Jesus, he doesn't know what Jesus knows. And I'm glad about that. And listen to what it says there at the bottom of this passage of scripture. It says, No, however, it is written, directly it goes on no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And I love this. He's saying, you can't even imagine what God has got for you. You can't even conceive to put it in your mind what God has got for you. If you sat down and tried to ponder it, you wouldn't be able to ponder the things that God has prepared for you. And then he says, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. So he's actually let you know the secret. Wow. Wow. Well, come in, Johnny. When was that? I mean, I don't think I got the secret yet. Yeah, my life on earth is kind of like miserable. I think I'm getting beaten by Satan more than I'm beating Satan. I haven't got the secret yet. That's what this series is about. It's about helping you find the secret. Helping you to find the information that you need to know what you got inside of you. What God did inside of you. So that you are not overcome by sin, that you are overcomers in Christ Jesus. That's what this is about. That's what we are trying to do. God said he has revealed it to us by his spirit. And I can say, do you know that? Do you know what Jesus knew when the devil comes knocking at your door and now it's pounding at your door and says, open the door and let me in. I have a right over you. I can do whatever I want here. Do you know what Jesus did? Do you look at what Jesus, what, the, what Jesus has given you and look at what the devil is offering you and can you see the difference between rotten fruit and good fruit? Do you yearn after what the devil is offering on his plate, or do you yearn after the Spirit of God and what He's given you? Do you know what He's given you? Do you know the things, the blessings that He has poured out for you in Christ Jesus, your Lord? Are you living with those on the inside with such reality that you know this is me, this is who I am, this is my identity, this is this is my life in Christ Jesus. Do you know that so well? So that when the devil comes knocking on your door, you look at him and say, what do you think you are trying to offer me? That's not even tempting. Doesn't even move me. Not interested in that package of crap. Excuse the French. Paul says it with those words. He calls it excrement. He says, I want to know Jesus. Jesus. He says, I consider everything else as dung, excrement. He saw the difference. The trouble is we get in life and we don't see the difference because we don't know. Because we haven't spent time seeking for knowing what God has got for us in Christ Jesus. And the devil runs with your ignorance and plays you into a corner and and tries to destroy your whole life just because you don't know. You don't know. John experienced this. I mean, John is this guy who, who says, you know... If a person is born of God, he will not sin. He can. He uses the word "cannot." It's impossible for him to sin. You, think, you know, we read it today in our society, and we think, "What were you actually smoking, John, when you were actually saying that?" You're obviously thinking something that we, you know, get a real reality check. Christians are not perfect. They're just forgiven. We sin. Their grace will abound. We don't actually live a victorious Christian life. You, you can't find anybody who's living a victorious Christian life. If you think that somebody living a victorious Christian life just watch out because it'll come out they're sitting somewhere in their lives and we think that we should live here on the, on the dirt with the, with, the, with the chicken scratching in the dirt rather than with God in the heavenly realms and yet God came to bring his kingdom to earth that we would live in his kingdom and rule and reign with him before he comes and lives here to rule and reign that we would rule and reign with him in life that we will be more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. We live in this place of mediocrity. We live in this place of sickness. We live in this place of sin because we think that that's what is our only option. My friends, it is not your only option. You have everything you need for life and God and it's through the knowledge of Jesus. You've got to get the knowledge of Jesus in you. Everything that you need for life and godliness comes through the knowledge of Jesus. Jesus is knowledgeable and there's something about Jesus you ought to know and there's something about his ways you ought to know. There's something about him that you ought to take on board because when you take that on board, you're going to become greater and bigger inside than you are at the moment and the devil will shudder when you walk into the room. Listen, friends. This is not about just holding us tightly safe in the corner until Jesus comes back and takes us away from the big, bad, evil one. Yes, the devil is thrashing around because he knows his days are... uh, uh, But listen, you don't have to be fearful of the devil. You don't have to be fearful of what he says. You don't have to be fearful of the night watches. You don't have to be fearful of things that crawl in the dark. You don't have to have any fear in your life at all because perfect love casts out all fear and the one who is perfect love resides within you. How do I take that little information and work that out into my disposition? How do I take that little reality and work that out into my lifestyle? It's all about what you're hungry for. It's all about what you're hungry for. What are you hungry for in God? What are you hungry for in life? What are you seeking after? What do you spend your time looking for? Paul John says here, he says, That which we we that which was from the beginning we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which is from with the Father and appeared to us. He said, You know what? I've seen it with my eyes. I've touched it with my hands. I've smelled it. I've tasted it. I've seen heaven on earth. And you know, I am telling you what I've seen and experienced. Don't sit here and think that Christianity and religion is sitting in a pew, not experiencing anything of God. If you haven't experienced something of God, you're missing the point. Heaven is on earth, Jesus is alive, He's there to experience. If you say, I haven't really experienced anything, God, then you are lost still. Because the Spirit of God testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. He says to us on the inside, without any doubt, you're born again. You don't have to worry and doubt about that. You don't have to worry whether you're saved. Once you know Jesus, you know Him and you know Him and you know Him. His sheep hear His voice. You heard Him, you hear Him, you've seen Him, you've got Him, you've tasted that the Lord is good and He's within you. And no one can tell you that you're not saved. Because you know him. Oh, says Paul, that I might know him. That I may know him in the power of his suffering. Nothing could bend Jesus. Nothing could break Jesus. Because he was the unconquerable God in flesh. John wants you to experience this as well. Have you experienced it? In John chapter one verses first John chapter one through three says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And and our fellowship is with the Father and the Son Jesus Christ. He's living in fellowship with God. God, the creator of the universe. John says, I'm telling you what I've seen and tasted and touched, so you can have fellowship with us. Because we're having fellowship with God. Amazing stuff. Absolutely amazing stuff. John, the same author, writes in John chapter 17, verse 3, he says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you. What's eternal life? This is kingdom of heaven stuff. That they may know you and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, But these are written in all the promises and all the parables and all the the miracles were written, and all the things that John wrote in this thing, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. You've got to know today that you can experience eternal life. Eternal life. Not live in some existence. Not live in some hole, but have abundant life, new and living, vibrant life. You can experience life, eternal life now before you're even dead. It can be your measure. It can be your portion. It's ready for you now. Paul's prayer to the Ephesians was that they would understand this. And this is the, uh, we will probably deal with this later. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, and I'll read it to you. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may, say it with me, know him better. Say that. The spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you've been called. Not just that you may know him better, but that you may know the hope to which you've been called. The fact that he has a plan for you, that you may know the plan for you. If you have a plan and you're meant to be doing something, you can't be led down a garden path. If you're heading off to work and you've got to be at work by 7 o'clock, you know you can't go down to to the, the game parks down the Gold Coast because you've got a purpose. You can have anybody standing on the side of the road saying, Well we have a freebie today, come on down to, to Dream World. You love it down there Dream World, come on, we'll give you a free entrance and a free couple of rides. You know you know you've got a purpose, you're going to work. There's no temptation in that. The devil will finally run into a smack into a hard wall when you have got purpose in your life. It's the purpose less than attempted. It's those without a calling that are lost and wander around. Having a purpose in life, having a calling in life is God's way of saying, you know, you need to keep your mind on the track because you are important to this whole thing. Keep going in this direction. And no matter what the devil comes and tries to offer you, if you've got a divine and eternal purpose in your spirit, you won't bury it one little bit. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 19 to 21 he says that the riches of his glorious inheritance that you may know the, what you've called him the riches of his inher- glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparab- incomparably great power for us who believe. Uh, he talks about this. We talked about it last week, a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the power and the authority that Jesus has given into our lives. We talked about it. And here he says the incomparably great power that Jesus has got for us. That we are missing something here. Seriously, we're missing something here. If you don't know the power, if you can't experience the power, if you can't exercise the power, if you don't know the authority, if you can't experience the authority, if you can't exercise the authority, you're missing something. If the devil's knocking on your door and he's leading you astray and if he's telling you to do something and you just willfully do it because you have no strength in your life, you're missing something here. You're missing something very important here. There is incomparably great power in Jesus. He's displayed it to us when the devil tempted it. He displayed it to us by rising from the dead. You're missing something. That power is like the working of his mighty strength when he exerted in, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realm. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in this present age but in the, in the age to come. He says this is it. You got it in you. Verse 22. And 23, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Oh, you feel that? Think about that. Everything. All power, all authority. Everything, over every demonic work, over every principality, every dominion, every kingdom, everything has been given into the hands of Jesus. He rules and he reigns. He is the King Eternal. Think about that. Now, you've got to take that out of heaven and put that on earth. Where is the kingdom of heaven? It says the kingdom of heaven is within you. Stop now. Think that one through. Let that grasp you when sin comes knocking at your door. What have you got inside of you? What's bubbling up inside of you? What's surging through your mind and through your mentality when the devil comes to lure you with a rotten bowl of fruit? What's there? What's inside of you? the god of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. oh yeah oh the devil knows that you could know this the devil knows that you could believe this so he wasn't, doesn't he thinks you don't believe and so what I'll do is I'll start to cloud your mind I'll start to take away your thinking I'll start to cloud it so you can't see I'll start to block it out I'll make you an unbeliever again I'll take you and take it all away so that you get all lost and fearful and confused, you won't know what's going on. The devils at work trying to steal and rob not what you what you have because he can't touch that. He's starting to steal and rob your sight so you can see it. Paul's telling you, you should look at it. Here's some amazing stuff. The apostle Paul wants you to know. This is what you should know. He says. By him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers. and other, You know, God even made the devil. He didn't make the devil evil. He made the devil uh, Lucifer, an archangel. And the devil created his own evil because he filled himself with his pride. God didn't create that. The devil did that himself. But even the demons were created by God. And, and God rules over them. He controls them. Hard for you to imagine, don't think that's true. The scripture tells us so. An evil spirit from the Lord plagued Saul. Go plague Saul. Saul looking for someone to relieve him of the evil spirit that had come from the Lord. Well, who was in control of the evil spirit? The Lord, do that. You don't understand that? I'm not asking you to understand it. I'm just asking you to understand one thing, that God is in control. He's bigger than everything. He's bigger than every demonic force and than every demonic power. He's bigger than everything that would come against you, everything that would present itself against you to try and cause fear into life. He is bigger and stronger and mightier and more powerful. He is over all... Remember that. All things were created by him and for him. And Paul the Apostle wants us to know that Jesus, that you have in Christ, uh, temptations are useless to you. He says. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. And so that everything might have, so that in everything he might have supremacy. God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the Glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now go back here, he says. He says, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. So that's God who created the heavens and the earth. The fire-breathing God who spoke the stars into position and set them in their orbit. God who spoke life onto the planet earth. Who spoke life and caused human beings to be created and he caused animals and plants and vegetation he spoke life and light he called light and darkness dark he, he did all of these things he was masterful in, in his creation all that fullness dwells in jesus in jesus he was pleased god says to have all his fullness dwell in jesus And then Paul says in verse 27, and this is the secret. To them God has made known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, this mystery, this secret, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So all the fullness of God now lives where? In you. It's in you. Here's what he says. Chapter two, Colossians chapter two, verses eighteen. See to it that no one takes you captive through empty deception, through, through sorry, through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which de- depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than Christ. So what he's saying is, is look, you got to be careful that you are not deceived when you're looking around this world. He says, when you're looking around this world, there's lots of people talk, saying lots of things. There's lots of traditions out there. There's lots of ideas out there. There's lots of philosophies out there. There's lots of ideas about where we all came from. What all about. He says, you ought to be very careful that you don't get deceived by this world because you're coming from another world. You've got to think differently than this world. Then the very next verse, is, says, for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ. He says, don't be deceived by this world because you've got a new world inside of you. You've got the fullness of God living inside of you in bodily form. You've got the whole of God inside of you. You don't have to be deceived, you've got all of God inside of you. He says, he's the head over every power and authority. When was the last time the devil came knocking on your door and you felt that you couldn't say no? Well, if you do that, you've got to dismiss one very important factor. When the devil comes punching on your door and says, open up, you know you can't resist. You want to send Jesus, the power of God, to, to the door and say, Jesus, tell him where to go. Because you're living in this house now. I'm not here alone. He will never leave you, nor will he ever forsake you, where you may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. Why? Because the fullness of God resides within you. Everything of God resides within you. Did you get it? Do you know it? Well, I hear you, Mark. It's all very inspiring today. But you know what? I'm going to wake up tomorrow, I'm going to feel fear again. I'm going to have a bad dream in the nighttime. I'm going to feel kind of... Like I can't do anything What do you expect me to do when I'm feeling Well I'm expecting you to live your life According to the word of God And not according to your emotions and your feelings That's the first thing You are people of faith Not of, of feelings and experience Don't come to me and say My experience is I don't care what your experience is Respectfully I don't really care what your experience is You know what really matters Is what you understand about the word of God And bringing the word of God into your experience Taking the word of God and applying it to your experience so that when fear comes knocking at your door you take the word of God and say you know what I learned something on Sunday that Jesus you are in me you are in me in fullness you know I've got a feeling kind of frightened here now so I'm even inside in the dark and I'm frightened but you know what I'm going to do I'm going to walk outside in the dark I'm going to walk around the house because I believe that you are in me and you give me boldness to do that and you want to face your fear and you want to face it with God and tell the devil to get lost and you know what you will be victorious Because you live in the word And not in your emotion The world wants you to be beckoning And running after every whim of emotion Come on let's do this It feels so good Come on let's party It's party time Come on let's all get dressed up Because you'll feel so well When you're looking so fine The devil wants you to play with the emotions God wants you to play in faith Friends Here's the problem. You don't know it. You don't know it. But you should know it. There was a saying. used to go something like this. You're so heavenly minded. You're no earthly good. It talked about people who were righteous and pious. And walking around with their noses in the sky. though that somehow they were better than other people. You know what I reckon? We could equally say you are so earthly minded, you have no heavenly good. You just don't get it. In Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 4, it tells us these things. Since then you have been raised with Jesus, or raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, and not on earthly things. Jesus is bringing us a heavenly kingdom. It's heaven on earth. He says to you, Set your mind on what you have in heaven. Set your mind on what you got, what Jesus is bringing to you right now. Set your heart on those things. What things? What things should I be setting my heart on? That's what we're going through the book of Ephesians about. The things that God is giving us. The positions that we have in Christ. Because it's just the manifold wisdom of God. The gifts that he's given to us. The, the power that he's given to us. The blessings that he's given to us. All provided for us. These are the things that we set our hearts on. These are the things that we set our mind on. These are the things that grow in us. Add to your faith knowledge and to your knowledge temperance and to your temperance self-control and all these. And if these things be in you. If these things be in you will be... Neither profitless, or usually you'll be You'll never fall he says You'll never fall Oh I wish I could never fall Well get your heart and your mind on different things You're too busy looking at rotten fruit Rotten fruit will give you a gut ache. It will take you to hell. Set your heart on things above. Abide in the vine. Live in the vine. Draw from the vine. Suck from the vine. The vine's attached to the Father God. The heart of God. The Father heart of God wants to breathe itself through you. And he wants to help you to bear fruit unto him. Fruit to glory. What are you looking at? You're looking at fallen fruit. You're looking at rotten Fruit. You're getting tempted by rotten fallen fruit, when you should be looking at a, a bunch of grapes stuck on a vine that's full and fresh and the sap of God for you are to abide in the vine. You know, look, think about it. We've had a long and hard Christmas holiday. Young people, you've been bored out of your brain. You run around, I'm so bored. I'm bored mum, I'm bored. Or why why are we so bored? Because we have grown up in a society that says we have to entertain us or be entertained all the stuff. So if I'm hanging out and I've got nothing to do, somebody has to entertain me. We learned it because we're addicted to the TV and the TV entertains us. And so we think, you know, if I've got nothing to do, what can I do? You know, it's a lovely day outside. You could go for a walk. You could do a couple things. You could dig a hole in the backyard. Why would you want to dig a hole in the backyard? Well, I just dig a hole in the backyard. You know, you dig down far enough, you find clay. Well, what can you do with clay? Well, wet it up and I'll make a pot out of it. Well, that's what I would do when I was younger. Dig a hole and fire some clay Then we found some clay we can make a pot Oh I've got some matches here Let's light a fire and let's Oh well, they didn't like that but we did it anyway And we set the place on fire Doesn't really matter but there's plenty of things that you can do Other than being entertained Our young people think that we have to be entertained so we sit there and we're looking for things to entertain us. Why don't you entertain yourself in the word of God? Why don't you entertain yourself in the things of God? Why don't you entertain yourself in the mind of God? Why don't you spend some time with God and fill yourself up with God and you may find that you are no longer bored, you have a purpose in life. Being entertained is for purposeless people. I don't have time to be entertained. I have time to do the work of God. I only have a limited amount of time. My time is running out. Pretty soon I will receive an upward call. My time will be over. I've got to make the most of it while I'm here. Don't ask me to waste my time. The Bible tells me to redeem my time. Why? Because people with a purpose is the place to go. I've got a purpose and I've got a person inside of me who wants to empower me to do what he wants me to do. I've got things to do. Don't ask me to be entertained. I will entertain you with the gospel. Friends, what are you looking for? Seriously, what are you looking for? Kingdom heaven? Or kingdom of earth. And when the devil comes knocking on your door. With all of that temptation. He doesn't know. What you're going to do. If you decide today. To live to God. You can know something that he doesn't know. And you can give him an education. In the process of his temptation he can learn that you are born of God blood covered purpose driven for Jesus and he can learn that you are not to be messed with because when you speak to him and tell him get out the Bible tells me he will flee from you you've got a week in front of you how many hours in a week Graham? I'm asking you Hi, Andrew how many hours in a week he's got near he's at barbecuing you've got a week 24 hours in a day times 7 what's that Warren 168 Warren had it 168 hours in front of you how are you going to use them seriously you seek me while you may be found call upon me while I'm near Let the evil man forsake his ways and the wicked man his thoughts and let him turn to me, he says in Isaiah 55. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. As high as the heaven above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What are you going to do with your 168 hours this week? Where are you? Looking at rotten fruit? Going to fill your crop with disease? They're going to fill your crop with Jesus let's pray Father I pray right now in Jesus name that your word would bear a hole right into our hearts and lives burn it into us oh God by your spirit today Lord graft your word into us and Lord help us to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls Lord Jesus lift us Help us to see how you've you've worked your grace in our lives and given us victory in Jesus' name. Help us to stand with you against every attack in the name of Jesus. As you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. This may have touched your heart and you may have felt it cut you because you haven't been focusing on the right thing. I want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to call you out to the front to pray for you. We've had prayer for people. I just want you to indicate to God that you are on the change. That you've had enough of where you've been looking and what you've been doing, and you're on the change today. You've got to turn around and fill your mind with Jesus and all his goodness and all his stuff. You're going to put away the old and be covered with the new. You're on a change. Put your hand up if God is speaking to your heart. And don't be ashamed. He's looking for that hand. I'm not looking for it, but he's looking for it. He wants you to acknowledge that he wants your life to change. Okay. Father, you see those that have inca- indicated by your Holy Spirit. Now fill them. Fill them, Lord Jesus. So that as they go from this place, Lord, they would sense the power of your Holy Spirit in them, Lord Jesus. And Lord, help them to, Lord, understand your presence with them and overcome everything that comes against them in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.